0: But here's my warning about character, and this is a very hard lesson. Character by itself isn't going to make you a successful leader. Your character has to be built on the foundation of giving direction and demonstrating capabilities, because that's the ante to be in the game.
1: Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad.
2: Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 163. Our guest today is Tim Lupfer, author of the new book, Leadership, Tough Love, Examining Leaders Through the Lens of Reality. Tim's life is pretty interesting. Graduating first in his class at West Point, Rhodes Scholar, commanded a tank battalion in combat, a retired business executive, author, and speaker. He thinks we're not developing the leaders we need because we're not precise about what leadership actually is. His entire life has been the study of leadership. Now as a speaker, writer, and consultant, he lends his years of leadership expertise people looking for a more effective leadership strategy to use within their organizations. Good morning Tim, welcome to Business Owners Radio.
0: Thanks very much Craig.
2: It's great to have you on board today. This topic is so top of mind in this challenging times we're in and but I gotta ask you what led up to wanting to spend endless hours in writing this
0: book? Well a couple of things. First, I'd been dealing with leadership really all my adult life. But what triggered this specifically was I came home and I picked up a very prominent American business magazine, and the cover story was about leadership. And as I was reading the article, I looked at this and I said, wait a minute, there are people here that are in very high positions. But that doesn't necessarily mean just because they're in the position, they're great leaders. And that's what the article promised, the world's greatest leaders. And then as I went through it, I also saw people in there who were specialists. And this would mean people like sports stars or pop stars. I said, wait a minute, these people have great individual talent, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're great leaders. And so I said to myself, I think we need to step back and really try to define leadership a little more precisely. And I think we need to get a little more realistic about what leadership is and what it entails.
2: Yeah, you know, so many leaders are defined into the leadership role without any background. And just because they were a, a great performer in their individual expertise, all of a sudden they get put in a leadership position and it's like swimming in a sea where they haven't had lessons. So how would you define today, based on tremendous background and experience, how would you define a great leader?
0: Well, first I would define leadership as the role of affecting followers to achieve the organizational goal. And notice that it's a role. In other words, it's based on the position in the organization or the position in society because, for example, parents are leaders where you have to affect followers to achieve the organizational goal. And to me, a good leader is someone who basically can do three things – In other words, these are the three basic elements of what a leader actually does, which is give direction, demonstrate capabilities in the position they're in, and embody character. And so to answer your question very directly, an outstanding leader is someone who does all those three things and uses all the tools necessary to affect followers to achieve the organizational goals.
2: And that gets to be challenging from the standpoint of some of them have not had the bandwidth of experience to be able to implement. Where do they start building upon that? What are some good examples that you've seen?
0: Well, I think really no one is ever fully prepared to be in the position they're in as a leader. And the reason I say that is because a leader has to be a generalist. And this is a big distinction I make between a specialist which is somebody who devotes his or her efforts toward a specific body of knowledge or a specific process or something like that. And by the way, that's extremely important. Uh, We're finding that out right now in terms of people involved in research and the like. Specialists are very, very important. But a leader is not a specialist. A leader has to be a generalist because a leader has to understand all the different moving parts in terms of the group that he or she is leading. And it really calls for a different mindset and a different skill set. Now, I'm not saying that somebody who's a specialist can't become a leader. They're not mutually exclusive. But an awful lot of people who are specialists don't want to be leaders. And to be quite honest, that's okay as long as the organization recognizes it. But to be a leader, it means you have to take on the responsibility of affecting people, which means human beings which also means there's going to be tension. It's inescapable. And so one bit of advice I give to new leaders is do not think that just because of your wonderful personality and the immense logic of what you're saying, that everybody's going to agree. That will never happen. There's always tension. And so a good leader has to learn how to manage through that tension and accomplish the organizational goals.
3: Tim, you've really captured a paradox that is very familiar and painful to the accidental entrepreneur (laughs) because so many of us started a business because we were actually specialists at something, right? And so we have this area of expertise and many of us lack formal leadership training. And here we are just trying to do what we know and thinking that that's going to be enough. And man, is it? hard to acquire these skills so how do you help people change their mindset can you give us an example of how you can shift that frame to start thinking about the way you lead differently
0: well i think one of the things is you have to be very careful not to revert back automatically to your knowledge of the specialty simply because as a leader you're now in a much broader area you know you've got different moving parts with different people with different skill sets so one of the things, and I've gone through this as well, and I think every leader does, you have a tendency or a temptation to go back to the body of knowledge that you know that you grew up with. And I think you need to resist that. You've got to say, wait a minute, I've got to look at the whole panoply of activity going on here. And part of that also means that you're not an expert in every deep area because that's impossible. So you have to learn how to basically go to other people and this is the people you're leading and you've got to plumb their expertise through them. And that means you've got to admit what you don't know, which is another thing that's very hard to do. You've got to be able to say to people, look, you're the expert in this. Here's where it fits in in the overall thing. But I need to know from you what's the knowledge and what are the things that are going to impact what we're doing based on your knowledge. And so these are things you have to do all the time. And quite honestly, Shai, I don't think that there's truly a school for leadership in terms of, I I don't think you can sit in a classroom and really get a whole lot about leadership. I mean, I think there are some good frameworks and the like, but the point is it takes practice and it's always a work in progress. So I would say to anybody who's embarking on this, look, it's going to be tough there's going to be tension. You're going to suddenly recognize your own limitations pretty, pretty quickly. And you've got to reach out to other people to pull it together. But remember too, you're the decision maker and you've got to be able to make those decisions. But it takes a lot of practice. It's like the old joke about Carnegie Hall, where the frantic guy jumps in the cab in New York City and says to the cab driver, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the cab driver answers, Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> well, you've
3: certainly had, I mean, just a lifetime of practice. I think uh, graduating first in your class at West Point, no small feat, even in and it of itself, let alone developing into a Rhodes Scholar and commanding a tank battalion. I mean, how did those kinds of formative years and then your military service translate into this practice of leadership in business?
0: Well, I think one of the good things about the military culture is it focuses very much on leadership and the hierarchy is structured so that it does develop leadership. And I think that's a very good thing about the military culture. Now, by no means am I saying that that culture is perfect. The military, like everything else, is full of humans. So it's going to have its problems as well. But it certainly is an excellent laboratory, especially for someone who's young, because you get leadership responsibilities very, very soon in the military. And so I had a lot of practice, practice, practice. And sometimes it was very tough. The army that came out of Vietnam, I I just missed Vietnam in terms of my age, but the army that came out of Vietnam was quite dysfunctional, to be quite honest. And it was pretty tough. And the army as an institution took many years to really put itself back together. And that was the period I was in the army. And by the time we went to Desert Storm, I got to say that institution really had righted itself. And it was an amazing institution, which I think proved itself in Desert Storm. So I was very fortunate in that regard. Making the jump to the civilian world after I retired from the Army, I had to really have the antenna out because the culture in business is different. And, you know, just a very quick example, one of the things I learned is In the military, and bear in mind, too, when I was in the military, particularly the branch I was in, in tanks, it was all male. And so a lot of it was very much, very direct, very much in your face, and, you know, not very subtle. And one of the things I learned very quickly in business, because it was a more diverse group and the like, it wasn't as direct, it wasn't as sort of uh, impolite in some respects. And I really needed to learn to hold things back. When I was making suggestions or delivering feedback or something like that, I had to learn, hey, tone it down, dial it back. It's not the same culture. And it was up to me to figure that out. Nobody was going to tell me about it. I had to figure it out myself. And that's one of the things about culture. A leader has to be a bit of an anthropologist because you've got to be able to gauge the culture of the organization or the group that you're leading. And that's the thing about business. There's tremendous variety out there. It depends on the industry, depends on the skill set, depends on the background of people. And so as a leader in business, you've really got to be an anthropologist, engage the culture, and you've got to make the adjustments necessary, not to sacrifice your own character, which I really feel you can't do, but to modify your style to try to be as effective as possible. And that's a huge transition.
2: I've watched that in prior decades, bringing in high-level people from the government into private sector, and not all of them make it. It's a very big change for some of them. But you mentioned also in your book, in this time, um, the element of character.
0: Why is that so important? I think character is the secret sauce of the three elements that I discussed, which is giving direction, demonstrating capability, and embodying character. Because character comes from the Greek word meaning to engrave. Character is a set of values that you have that that you acquire as you go through your childhood and, and the like. And by the time you become an adult, quite honestly, those values that you've acquired, which determine your behavior, that's what character is, they're fairly permanent. And that's also the way that I think you ultimately connect with people is through the shared values. Because as a leader, you certainly have decision-making authority. In other words, there's a hierarchy, and there will always be hierarchies, by the way. And you've got that decision-making authority, but it's through the shared values that I think you really connect with people. But here's my warning about character. And this is a very hard lesson. Character by itself isn't going to make you a successful leader. Your character has to be built on the foundation of giving direction and demonstrating capabilities, because that's the ante to be in the game. So you've got to have that. But then when you can put the character on top of that, that's when you've got the secret sauce. And that's where you can really connect with people. And when you're in an organization like that, it's a wonderful thing.
2: Along those lines, um, many times we've had experiences in our careers of people that are very magnetic in their dynamics of their style and their appearance and how they relate. And, uh, you know, the, the element of charisma comes to mind from your book.
0: And where does that go and how does that play out? Well, I'm very much a contrarian when it comes to charisma. First of all, I think the word is grossly overused. We use it too often to describe someone in retrospect, in other words, someone who's already been successful. And then we say, oh, didn't he or she have charisma? Actually, I feel very few people have charisma. Once again, here we go, another Greek word here. The root word in Greek means a gift. And what charisma really is, is the ability to walk into a room and people are utterly mesmerized by you and they're gonna do anything you say. And what happens is the followers completely suspend their judgment and skepticism. And what I say is in most, by no means all, but in most cases, this rare charisma has brought misery to a heck of a lot of people. My lesson is charisma. It's rare. Most of us don't have it. It's going to be hard work to be leaders. Let's not chase charisma. Let's just do the hard work of leading. And I give a couple of examples of my book where charisma turned out to be an utter disaster. Can you share one with us now? Sure. I think one that probably everybody would know would be Jim Jones out of San Francisco and California in 1978. He was a quasi-religious, quasi-political agitator in the San Francisco area in the 1970s. And he really did seem to be very charismatic. He attracted an enormous number of people as followers. It was almost a cult. He was very much feated and celebrated by politicians, both sides of the aisle in California, even given a couple of quasi-government positions. And then, and this is where people are going to remember it, he took his group of followers who were over 900 people to South America, to the country of Guyana, and set up their own little village, so to speak, and what's amazing, first of all, is that a number of people even followed him there. And then there was the incident where some people were complaining about what was going on and a U.S. congressman came to visit. That congressman was shot and killed at the airstrip. And then after that, Jim Jones and over 900 followers committed suicide by drinking poison laced in Flavor-Aid. By the way, it was not Kool-Aid, it was Flavor-Aid. I always like to throw that in there. But actually, I'm not trying to make a joke of what was a horrible situation, because the lesson there is, I think Jim Jones was utterly charismatic. He got people to suspend their judgment to the point of committing mass suicide. And yet, what did it lead to? It was a horrible disaster. I think it's better for us as followers to always maintain a certain degree of skepticism about our leaders, to always retain our judgment and a certain degree of autonomy, And that's what I mean by charisma is probably not a place we want to go, either as leaders or followers. And how about,
3: you know, if you are a person that's fortunate to have charisma and have an easy way of talking to people and and have always experienced being able to influence people,
0: how can that
3: really come back and bite you when you're trying to lead organizations?
0: Well, the thing is, I, I feel very strongly that the charismatic person, and once again, I think that's pretty rare is eventually going to run into a roadblock when he or she comes to the most difficult thing for leaders, which is the trade-off. And by the way, I feel that's the inflection point we're at right now with the coronavirus in the United States. We're entering the period where we've got to make tough decisions about trade-offs, in this case, going back to work, and things are going to be very imperfect. It's in this situation where I think the charismatic person can run aground Because when you make a trade-off decision, and by that I mean it's a decision that there's no easy right answer. Whatever decision you make is going to entail risk. And it's probably gonna be done amidst an environment of a lot of unknowns, which by the way is exactly what we're going through right now. And I think the problem that people who have this ability of charisma to get people to go along, when they start hitting roadblocks they become very, very disconcerted with the pushback they're inevitably gonna get, and they don't know how to handle it. And unfortunately, in many historical cases of the person who was charismatic, they then try to pick a villain or a great endeavor with an outside foe. And this usually comes in forms of war, think Adolf Hitler, and that leads people down a very bad path. The point is charisma is not going to solve all the problems. Having people suspend judgment doesn't really bring you anything because eventually you're going to run into tough trade-off decisions. And that's where you really have to be a leader. And that's not somebody who has charisma. That's a leader who faces tough decisions.
2: Tim, you brought up the element of that we're in this situation of the coronavirus right now. And I've never seen in recent times a more demanding environment for leadership from the standpoint of even small businesses, mid-sized businesses and business leaders. And So many of the employees, so many of the infrastructure are looking for what do we do? Where do we go? How should we handle these things? And there's a bit of tension, as you mentioned in the book. What are your thoughts from your position and your observations over the
0: last month? Well, this is probably the first major crisis that affects everybody that most people have experienced. And the reason I say that is I was born in 1950. So I was born after the Second World War, which was a huge crisis that did involve everybody in the country. But I would suggest that the Second World War was the last one until this in terms of scope and scale. And just real quickly, I would say that 9 11, whereas it was a horribly dramatic and terrible moment, did not impact that many people on a broad scale, at least not for very long. And I was in Desert Storm, and I believe me, when you're in war, you're in a crisis, but that didn't affect that many people. I think what's stunning about this particular situation is it's affecting everybody. And it's in a crisis that a leader definitely has to step up because I have a little saying, when things go down, people look up. People look up in a crisis to their leaders more than any other situation. And so it's vitally important for leaders to step up and step in because they're going to be the most vulnerable. And I basically say, and and boy, do I wish I'd written more in my chapter a year ago when I wrote my chapter on leading in a crisis. But I'd say there are four major things. By the way, this is leader at any level because that's where we need leadership at every level. It's not just at the top. But first of all, the leader in a crisis has got to be calm. The leader cannot communicate that he or she is being distressed by the situation. They have to be calm. And that's extremely important. And I've seen some instances Uh, you know, with the different governors and and the like. Some have been, I think, a bit too excitable. Others have been very calm. And it's the calmness that, believe me, is going to count. The second thing is the leader has to be direct and honest, has to say, look, here's the situation we're in. And part of that being direct and honest is also saying what we don't know. That's very important. We don't know how this virus is going to mutate. We don't know if the tests are going to be very effective, and we have to be honest about that, and we have to acknowledge that we are doing some things in the unknown. But the third thing I think is extremely important. The leader has to be forward-looking. Leader has to say, look, here's the horizon, and this is why I say we're at an inflection point now. The leaders have to say, look, we're going to be coming out of this. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be trial and error. But we're going to do it. And I think the best example of that is Winston Churchill in 1940, when it's the United Kingdom against Nazi Germany and things looked really, really bad. He didn't pull any punches. We all know about blood, tears, sweat, and blood. But he also said, I take up my task with hope and buoyancy. That's what leaders have to do. They have to be forward looking. And then the final thing is leaders have to have the courage and the guts to make the tough trade off decisions. And that's where we are right now. In the next two weeks, we're going to see a bunch of tough trade-off decisions. And that's really going to be the test of our leaders going forward. Tim,
2: thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic.
0: Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. It's great talking with you guys.
2: Tremendous volume of knowledge. And thank you for sharing. And Tim, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
0: Well, I've I've got to admit, I've got to do my shameless plug for my book. The book is called Leadership, Tough Love. And of course, it's available on the USA, which is the United States of Amazon. Also, I've got a website, which is Timothy T. Lupfer, and the last name is spelled L-U-P-F-E-R dot com. And that has my various ideas and, of course, connections to my book and other ideas. But the main thing I'd like to leave is that leadership, I feel very strongly, is a learned skill. It's not something that people are born with. Sure, there are some advantages people have if they're good looking or tall, but at the end of the day, what really counts is that somebody has practiced, has been very self-aware and tries to do the best that he or she can to influence people, to affect people, to achieve the organizational goals. What I'm really trying to do through my book and through the speaking that I do is give people a framework so that they can make sense over this thing called leadership, because it's extremely important and heaven knows we need it now. So I really hope it helps.
2: Our guest today has been Tim Lupfer, author of the new book, Leadership Tough Love, Examining Leaders Through the Lens of Reality. You can learn more about Tim, his website and links, all on our website at businessownersradio.com.
1: Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show. And of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.